Welcome to the Ruled by Magpies podcast. I'm your host Chloe and buckle up because we're about to take a wild ride through the roller coaster of my life. Empowerment is our anthem, resilience is our superpower and fabulousness is our birthright. Let's go. Hello, are we excited for another RBM instalment? Firstly, thank you so much for the positive feedback on last week's pod. It seems that loads of you found it really beneficial to talk about separating constructive criticism from baseless negativity and better understanding how you as an individual could control through your connections with yourself how you take criticism on board and let it impact you. I am so glad January is over. I'm recording this on the 31st of Jan, known to the self-employed people as self-assessment deadline day. Uh, No cheers for that. Boo-hoo. No cheers for HMRC. So as many of you know, because I'm very open and have talked about debt and coerced debt very openly, money has been a bane of my life throughout the last 10 years. But now I've got a much better grip of things. I've learnt loads. I've got no debt. I don't even have a mobile phone contract or a Netflix subscription. I mean, not that a Netflix subscription is debt, but you know what I mean. I'm generally in a position of owing nothing to anybody apart from HMRC. I am super organised now as part of managing my anxiety around money. I have an accountant and my tax return was done in like April last year. So basically, I've had around nine months, the same time it takes other women to grow a baby, (laughs) to pay my tax bill. But I do this every year, right? Because it's the biggest bill I pay out. And I think, just like a pathetic on my part, like act of defiance against the system, I like to not pay the bill until the actual 31st. It sounds ridiculous, right? But I just think it's better in my pocket than in theirs. I won't go into all my tax affairs because I can literally sense before anyone's even listened to this that they'll just start switching off. But does anyone else do this? Does anyone else take like a small act of defiance that nobody else even notices, but you know yourself and you feel like you have a little private win about it? tell me, drop me a DM on Instagram or a message on LinkedIn and share the sauce with me. I love hearing about other people's little quirks. I heard someone say this week that human beings are the least interesting of all animals. But honestly, maybe it's my job. I find human beings fascinating. No stranger than folk, as they say. Speaking of our strange little quirks, I want to get this off my chest right. I have this new irrational thing that's really pissed me off and I don't even know why. So let me tell you about it. A few people on the estate where I live have had new front doors over the past few months. Seriously, it's like keeping up with Joneses, I swear. An estate full of white window frames. It's like a chain reaction, watching them all turn grey over a number of years. Grey windows. But back to doors, not windows. So they've had these new front doors... And they have like really long glass panels in them that run almost the whole length of the door. So obviously there's no room for the letterbox in the middle of the door where it should be. And these doors have the letterbox like 
right at the bottom of the door, like practically on the flipping floor. And I just find it so inconsiderate, like inconsiderate to the postman. Like these posties don't have it hard enough, being employed by a bunch of bastards <laughs> and facing the elements to deliver your mail. You now want them to get down on the floor to put letters through your inconveniently and frankly absurdly placed letterbox. It's so low down. It's not like you can bend down easily to like put letters through the letterbox. Like the postie basically has to take flexibility classes now to reach these modern letterboxes without a struggle. My other issue with it is little yappy dogs, the classic little ankle biters. And honestly, you can tell me those things don't nip angle ankles, but they fucking do, okay? I've never had my ankle nipped by a dog that can reach the letterbox. A staffy, a spaniel, a lab, but a bloody beach on freeze or a chihuahua, serious ankle biters, mate. <laughs> I have had my ankles nipped by them. We digress. So not all dogs can reach the letterbox, but when it's in the normal place, but when it's practically on the floor, perfect place for those little ankle biters to become finger nippers. I bet the Bichon Freeze owners who've put these doors in never stopped to think about the posties back, knees or fingers, did they? I think I've taken it personally right because I like my postie. We've developed a relationship. <laughs> Not as in like I'm sleeping with a postman, no. I mean, oh, this sounds ridiculous. The post-it doesn't even know about our relationship that we've developed, to be honest. The relationship only lives in my head. I love my postman because he never fucking comes. I'm like Vernon Dursley from Harry Potter. You know, Harry Potter's uncle. Sunday used to be my favourite day at week as well. No post on Sundays and my ex would be at work. Oh, I can't tell you the stress in my life that was centred around the postman. The hidden posts, the coerced debt, the debt letters, the bombardment, the fear when it got to 2pm, 3pm waiting for the postie. Because like, posties don't come in morning anymore. Mine were an afternoon postie back then. So it sort of trapped me in my house a bit because I couldn't like go out in the morning. I couldn't go out in the afternoon. I just had to linger around all day for this 2pm, 3pm postman visit. But now... No debt equals no letters. And I love my postman because he never comes. And if he's coming to yours, please spare a thought for his back, his knees and his fingers before choosing your next front door. <laughs> right, now that random excursion from today's topic is over, let's get into it. So I've been pondering lately after observing, observing others from close and afar in business the motivations behind our business and career choices and how these differ when we're doing it from a place of financial necessity and when we're doing it from a place of passion that isn't linked to financial necessity. And I just want to explore that a bit more really. I think this topic might be helpful to anyone who is a new is, is new to business as in being a business owner or new to being self-employed or thinking about setting up a business or becoming self-employed because I'm going to talk about the mistakes I've made as a new business owner in the past that have been driven by financial necessity. So I've been working now for 
I think around 16 years and in that time I've dabbled in many hustles, money-making schemes, businesses, I've tried pyramid schemes, like honestly I've sold all sorts of um, crap like, um, I can't remember what the magazine was called but I used to go around with one of them magazines, not like an Avon, like one that sold like cleaning products and like house things. If anybody remembers what that's called or think they know, <laughs> drop me a message. But I did that at one point as a teenager. Um, speaking of Avon, I did do Avon as well. I did and summer's parties, all sorts of crap. I've dabbled in millinery, beauty, um, and now have my HR consultancy and lift my CIC. My actual first little business venture though were when I was 16, 17. I set up this prom dress rental called Wear Me and Share Me Dress Rental. <laughs> oh, always one for a catchy little title. So I invested my money from my two jobs at the time. One at Pizza Hut on minimum wage on a zero hour contract. Honestly, I think minimum wage were about £3.60 for my age or something then as well. And the zero hour contract on, oh, oh my days, they're so exploitative. But honestly, I felt the full exploitation. I'd be called in to do like a four hour shift. And by the time I got the bus there and the bus back and my £3.60 per hour, I practically made nothing. <laughs> and then my other job was with the lovely Ian and Sandra at a Masonic Hall. I really loved that job. Still to this day, it is one of the best jobs I've had. And they did pay me more than the minimum wage. I felt really valued there. So I invested this money into buying some secondhand dresses from eBay and I set up like a little Facebook page to rent them out for proms and weddings and I half look back and just like cringe, especially when you see the youngsters now and like the rise and power of social media and influencers. Bloody hell, like if it were today, my idea might have got somewhat off the ground, like Think about Vinted and Depop and all that. It's not a rental. It's like second-hand purchasing, isn't it? But honestly, the concept was there. The execution was shocking. But what I've been thinking about is like, why? Why did I set up that little venture in the first place? Was it entrepreneurial? Like, am I an entrepreneurial person? I certainly wasn't influenced by people around me, adults in my life. Nobody around me even had a job, never mind a business. Did my circumstances and my socioeconomic status influence entrepreneurialism? Well, you wouldn't think so on the surface, would you? I mean, I expect the circumstances that prompt those kind of things are ones that were very different to mine, let's say. I didn't have anyone teaching me to like to pitch, to plan, to progress. So it got me thinking like, was it just survival? Does entrepreneurialism have jack shit to do with it? And actually my circumstances and socioeconomic status influenced me and, and perhaps to an extent still does influence me to like hustle, hustle, hustle because cold hard cash fixes problems. As Del Boy said, money and everything, but it sure does take the pinch out of being skint. And to that end, 
to what extent does financial necessity dictate how we shape our careers and particularly how we embark on business and manage and maintain our businesses? When I started my HR consultancy, it was for a similar reason really, financial necessity. I was in a hole and I needed to get out of it. I had these skills, this expertise, I did have a belief in, belief in myself to do it and to an extent, I obviously am very passionate about my career too. Let's face it, some aspects more than others but I think that's the same for everyone. So when you're fueled by financial necessity, for me personally anyway, I've found I'm so much hungrier to find new business I need it to survive, to pay the bills. I needed it back then to clear debt, to clear my mind, to literally survive. I started that business by making a website on my phone and setting up an email account. And in total, it was costing me £11 a month. In my first year, I made my employed salary. And in my second year, I just about doubled it. And in years three, four and five it kind of plateaued and I think that reflects the stage that I was at and went through in my life. I didn't set up that business at the time to be like a long-term entrepreneurial plan and whilst I recognise it could be, it was set up out of survival mode and the financial trend it's shown really does reflect the hunger of financial necessity to me and the blooming out of financial necessity and into a place of much more balance. When you're in that survival mode and operating out of financial necessity as a self-employed person, looking in hindsight at my own experiences, you make mistakes and I'm going to tell you my mistakes so you don't have to make them too. Although let's face it, you probably will because the adventure is in learning. Mm, First mistake, undervaluing your services. You're literally so hungry to win the work, you'll go in at a low price for the win. And whilst this might seem sustainable at the time because like you just want the money, actually when you get into the thick of the work, you're starting to think, what the fuck have I done and why did I commit to this for this little amount of money? It's so important in those early days of business that you don't undervalue your time and quote projects for less than it's worth for you. Trust me, it's not worth the win. You'll be fighting an ongoing battle with demotivation And it will hand you your ass on a plate and you will have to suck it up and do the work. What it does to your self-esteem is not worth the money. But we're driven out of financial necessity, right? So you're probably thinking, whatever, (laughs) like if I had to do X, Y and Z for 350 quid right now, I would do it because I need the money. But it don't feel like that when you start doing the work and it doesn't feel like that when they come back to you for the next piece of work and there's this confusion about the hiking price because you've now recentered your worth but the client was expecting another sweet deal and now they just think you're being greedy which totally isn't the case. 
it's bad for reputation and relationships long term. My advice is to scope out at the start what your services or hourly rate should be to meet your financial goals. Whether those financial goals are as a business or as an individual and work stringently to them. Having a set buffer in your mind for a reasonable level of negotiation so you can still appear to be competitive but really stick to your boundaries. The second mistake is taking on work you're not passionate about. Part of having a business and being self-employed is being able to pick and choose the work that we want to do. Part of being self-employed in HR in particular for me is actually working in line with my values and not being pressured into being a puppet for an ethically corrupt CEO to do their dirty work of hiring and firing and sorry bomb dropped (laughs) I said it a lot of HR folk are that unfortunately they they are a puppet for an ethically corrupt puppet master but when we are driven by financial necessity we sometimes forget this freedom we have and we sacrifice that that freedom um, and compromise our own values for this quick cash like why wouldn't I take on a recruitment project I can do recruitment yeah I can do it but do I like doing it do I hell I hate recruitment but Back when I were a newbie to this game, I was just taking on all the things I could do, not the things that I wanted to do. And it just defeated the object of being self-employed and having this choice. Trust me, no amount of money in the world is going to make you enjoy something that you hate, that challenges your boundaries, your self-esteem and your values. Recruitment typically is that for me, particularly in... Um, in the pandemic and post-pandemic the labour market was so hard and it continues to be so so hard it really can leave you feeling totally defeated I was like having to explain to demanding CEOs who don't give a toss about the labour market outlook uh, they just think you're talking like HR jargon you can see that they're just thinking blah 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 I don't want to know the reasons you can't deliver I just want you to deliver and it's soul crushing also you have to understand the scope of a project before you take it on as well so a recruitment project for example what exactly are they asking you to sell in these market conditions to a reduced pool of candidates and is it reasonable is it attractive how much of your advice are they willing to implement to enable you to have a chance at selling their proposition of another exciting opportunity to join our rad race on LinkedIn. Don't work with people who aren't willing to work with you and just want you to work for them. That's not what being self-employed is about. And this is the next mistake, not knowing when to cut ties. So for me, there are a few, there are a few key indicators that it's time to cut ties from a client outside of the big fat obvious one, which is that they are forcing unsustainable financial strain on you 
by exploiting your kindness and never paying your invoices in a timely manner. Just don't do that, okay? If you are one of those people, start paying people on time. We're not big corporates. We're not paying for Range Rovers with your money. We're independent people. We're trying to like buy shoes, put the eating on, pay for Aldi food shop on a Sunday. Come on. The first one, like the red flag for me, outside of not paying invoices, is lack of effort or commitment. If your deliverables depend on their input and they demonstrate a lack of enthusiasm or commitment to their side of the deal, the relationship isn't going to be sustainable. You can document and document all the reasons you're unable to achieve your side of the bargain because of their delays or unwillingness, but in the end, you're going to end up in dispute and they most likely will play the client is always right card, okay? Besides, right, who likes getting into disputes? I've not met many people that seem to enjoy confrontation. I know sometimes we think that if we ignore a problem, it'll resolve itself or it'll go away, but it won't. Confrontation about issues up front, which speaks from a place of mutual respect, is better than letting things get to the point where all respect is lost for each other and you end up in a massive bum fight. It's your reputation on the table and it's better to walk away before things get to a point of dirtying each other's reputations. Another one is personal compatibility or you know, misaligned values. Not everyone is going to gel. We're not all destined to get along with each other. As a HR consultant particularly, um, and I imagine this is similar for a lot of service-based self-employed people, you'll be appointed to work closely with a particular person, a senior person, perhaps a director or a CEO. If you don't or can't develop a synergy based on trust, respect, transparency, it's going to be really difficult and it's going to rob you of your peace. If a person crosses your boundaries, ignores your advice or is stepping into the realms of that puppet master, which I touched on before, like violating your values, the clear benefit of being self-employed is working to your values. It's time to say goodbye. I was going to break out into song then, <laughs> but I'm not going to, don't worry. Um, staying with a client when you know it's not working or when it's pushing your boundaries and breaching your values will rob you of your peace. You'll spend that much time thinking about it that your hours working for them will have gone way beyond what they are paying you. The point is, the hours we spend watering dead flowers are hours we could be spending planting seeds, looking for new things to do, new clients, new projects, things that excite us, relationships that reward us, and in turn will reap us so much more beneficial and long-term financial reward it can be so tempting to snap someone's hand off for an opportunity in business when you're new to it and when you're motivated through financial necessity, but don't do it. And I hope I don't sound conceited saying this as I've been there. 
And when you really need it, it's easier said than done. But trust me, selling out your peace will cost you your emotional well-being in the long run and it's really not worth it. I'm definitely transitioning out of a phase now of running businesses based on financial necessity and focusing much more on the passion behind them. I had a contract that came to a bit of a natural end last year and everyone kept asking me, what are you going to do with the hours? Like, what are you going to do with that time? Have you got a plan? And the answer was like, no, nothing. Well, not quite nothing, but I was in no rush to find a replacement for them hours. My hours will be poured into my passion and poured into my self-development and poured rather challengingly for me into rest. Operating from a place of financial necessity burns you out and I've been doing it with no breaking employment for 16 years. For the first time now, I have some level of comfort and choice. I'm evolving. I'm able to reflect and recenter where I'm going, what I want. And I can actually think about winning this losing battle that I have with the concept of resting. I am, I'm a born hustler. I don't know what it is. Honestly, I said at the start, like, is it born out of circumstance um I've no idea what it is but for the first time in my life I'm starting to recognize that not everything has to become a hustle and I don't want everything to become a hustle and you know we have to prioritize other things as well and I understand it sounds slightly privileged but God, having been through the mill, like, I'm so glad I'm in a place where I can prioritise other things above purely financial gain and financial necessity. And if you're in a position right now where you have got to do that and you have got to hustle, I get it. But consider some of this advice and see if you can implement it and make things a little bit easier for you than they have been maybe for me in business. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the pod, please don't forget to leave me a review. The reviews really help. And yeah, tune in next week. Next week is... National Apprenticeship Week and I'm going to be doing a little bit of a special on that so please tune in if you're interested in that topic. Take care, bye!